2: Oh my god, I don't have problems! I don't have problems! <laughs> Get I'm on the fucking plane! <laughs> the for a six year old who like thinks the sun shines out my arm!
3: Yes. <laughs> if
2: you have
1: some questions but don't want to see me, none, and have no fear. The podcast here, it's not being funny but
0: with Lena.
3: Hello, it's been a while. Uh, Thank you so much for sticking with me. Uh, Welcome back to I'm not being funny, but the podcast where we ask the questions you pretend you knew the answers to or the ones you didn't think to ask. Uh, Now, before we get on with today's episode, and it is going to be an amazing one, Laura Jane Williams is an absolute star. I'm going to get on to what I'm naming burrito time, um, where I do a wrap up of some of the happier news, the hopeful news that I have spotted um, recently. I've got actually quite a big list of them because I've been um, every time I see a bit of good news, I kind of DM it to myself on Twitter. So I have this great um, conversation going with myself um, of links of, of good news, uh, which is a, a practice I highly recommend, especially in these times. Um, but yeah, I've collected a few things that I thought were um, interesting, and I hope you enjoy this segment. It's something that I definitely need in my life. So. Before I tell you all the good news, though, um, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast is supported by The Gumption Club. Uh, It's a Patreon club I run. If you go to patreon.com slash justkissmyfrog, it will be there. Um, The Gumption Club is a kind of creative... I call it kind of like... The fifth house in Hogwarts that J.K. Rowling never wrote about in the books. We have a Facebook group that I call the common room of that house uh, and we share resources. I live stream in there. Um, you get like a free download of a poetry collection I wrote. And there's lots of threads about different ways to create things, opportunities and competitions and free online resources that you can use to create your own stuff um, and it's a great place to meet people and get advice and i love it so if you do want to support this podcast i would highly recommend becoming a gumption club member it can cost you no more than a dollar a month and it helps keep this podcast going so there are a few things going on in that i wanted to talk about and uh I, you know is it a coincidence or is it just a representation of the facts that two out of the three good news stories i have today are from wales I'm going to stand by my statement. I think the nicest people in the world live in Wales. I'm, it's just a theory. It's just a theory I have. Uh, so an initiative has been launched in Wales on International Men's Day uh, to train up barbers to spot the warning signs of mental health problems in their customers. Cute. I shouldn't say cute. That's that's patronising. Incredible. They're being funded and given practical guidance on how to listen, how to help give advice and signposts to support services. Denver Sheer Barber Mo um, points out that because these men are being seen regularly by them, it's a non-threatening environment and um, also they're kind of already touching them. There's like a barrier breakdown there um, that brings out a kind of openness and an opportunity to chat. He says, um, I've had people crying in my chair. Simply asking people how they are and how they're doing can make all the difference. I often don't have the answers, but I know I can make an impact just by listening. Um, So that brought a little tear to my eye. And I think there's lots of like small initiatives like that that you don't always hear about where people are really like going out of their way to make small differences and give a shit, basically. Um, So I really, really like that story. Uh, We don't have to go far for the next story because in Cardigan, um, a independent bookseller, uh, Paul Morris... Um, has given away his independent bookshop in a raffle. Um, So the bookshop was really profitable. Apparently he could have sold it for at least £30,000. But after kind of deciding that he, he didn't want to run it anymore, he was retiring and he just stepped back and was just like, fuck it. Have it. So he said that um, he thought about selling it, but I thought instead, let's give someone an opportunity in life which they might not have otherwise had. So from what I can understand is that just from his regular customers, everybody who bought a book got a raffle ticket for a while and then... Well, At the end, he just could have picked one out and was like, the bookshop is yours if you want it. The guy who got it just seems to be a normal man who really likes books. He's really excited. He took over the shop on the 5th of November. So I kind of want to make a pilgrimage up there to say hi. But I just thought this was a really good example of of putting aside arrogance and the idea of inheritance. Um, and you know, there's this kind of like Bertolt Brecht thing in the Caucasian short circle that I always remember. That's just like he talks about this moral that's kind of like what there is belongs to to those who are good for it um the fields that they are mowed well mode's not what you do with fields whatever you do with fields i'm such a city girl um but yeah it's this this kind of idea that that like inheritance should be to the people who will look after something best not necessarily this kind of um blood descendants based capital that results in a lot of like systemic privilege and ridiculousness so i i just really loved that story and i was like right on like it's it's like It's nice to give a little bit to charity or like be like, oh, yes, I'll give a little bit here. But really just stepping back from a whole business and being like, throw your hands up, be like the universe will look after it is kind of uh, really cool and humbling. So Paul Morris, thank you for giving us hope. And if anybody wants to go to bookends in Cardigan, uh, I I recommend it. The last bit of good news um, might not have been good news for some people, but... I have complicated feelings about it. Um so when I was um a young a young budding publicist, I'd just got out of an engagement and I was moving house because I couldn't live there anymore and I uh took a trip to Paris uh that was supposed to be for two people. Uh my ex had booked the tickets and he had booked a ten hour bus journey to Paris. Uh I don't know how it takes 10 hours to get to Paris from London, but we'll move on. Uh, and I was sitting, I remember sitting on this um, kind of shitty mega bus and I had two seats uh, because obviously uh, my ex fiance was supposed to come with me. Um, and I, I just had, I had barely anything with me because I kind of packed in a rush. I'd remembered that I still should probably go. Uh, and I ended up going on this couple's holiday on my own. And... Um, I didn't have much with me. And one of the only things I had was this proof of this book called Harry's Last Stand by Harry Leslie Smith. He was an author I was going to be doing a campaign for. It was something kind of big in my career that was coming up that I didn't feel ready to deal with. And I was just like, who am I? Where am I going? What am I even doing? And but I knew I had to read this book um so i i kind of picked it up and was like yeah so i'd heard that the author was 91 uh which filled me with excitement and dread uh and um the subtitle was how the world my generation built is falling down and what we can do to save it and and in short this this on this long bus ride I wouldn't say my life just changed direction, but it definitely shifted a little bit. I don't know if you feel that when you read a really good book or you get touched by a really good experience. But I just I know I just felt some fragments in me um kind of fall into a different direction. And um it was amazing because I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna meet this man. Um so so Harry is Harry used to be like a like a carpet salesman. He's had a lot of different jobs in his life, but he's he's a pretty kind of normal northern lad. Uh, He's from Yorkshire. He's an RAF veteran. And he wrote this column um, in 2013 for The Guardian um, called This Year I Will Wear a Poppy for the Last Time. Because of that article, um, my publishing house commissioned him to write this incredible book and it's all about um, his time growing up before the NHS, uh, his kind of childhood in 1930s Barnsley, the terror of war, what he experienced there, um, and the the creation of the welfare state. Really, like what that meant to him and what he went through uh, to do that. And it was it's this humbling, really modern, <laughs> um, outward looking um, perspective from this. You know, he, I would I think I think we can call him elderly at this point. It's not a nostalgic memoir. It's it's looking to the future. Future and and talking about the value of human life and and what the NHS means for that for those of you um who aren't uh, from the UK and might not know the NHS is the National Health Service um it's about 70 years old and it's one of the kind of biggest I think it's one of the biggest identity drivers for a lot of British people that they're proud of it means that anybody can get free access to healthcare uh, regardless of their income at the point of need basically operating on the idea that uh, if you're poor you don't deserve to die for it i proceeded to spend um you know a long time on this campaign he was in, like in every national newspaper it was really great Uh, And he got invited to the Labour Party conference, which is so cool. So I accompanied uh, Harry to the Labour Party conference um, with his son, John. And we, the three of us spent this like whirlwind three or four days together, um, kind of going to the conference every day. People were constantly coming up to Harry, asking him to sign stuff and talk to him. So kind of managing his time. And then um, towards the end of our time at the conference, uh, he made this big speech on stage Uh, and I just, I, it's so hard sometimes for me to remember like moments in my life. Um, but I just, I remember everything about that day. I remember what I was wearing. I remember how it felt to be there. I remember the feeling of the like weird conference chair. And, um, he did this speech about his life growing up under poverty and hunger, the results of which mean that his whole family died, um, essentially of either illness or, or general poverty, um, uh, being buried in a in a pauper's pit and and just saying that like his his life was our history um and that it shouldn't be our future and i remember him him ending on this line what was it, it was like um mr cameron keep your mitts off my nhs and the whole i've never been in a room with that much energy but and it's hard when you look back at the footage like doesn't quite like communicate how it was like in that room but like all of these like quite you know because people who go to the Labour Party conference right they're all right but a lot of them are quite stuffy and i don't know uh, it's it's not Glastonbury i'll tell you that but they they just fucking exploded and people were like flinging their arms in the air people didn't it wasn't like a like a kind of very like tap tap kind of clap like people were like i don't think anybody like wasn't crying um and it was just this moment where you're kind of like like, it's just honour to be in his presence and, like, the kind of um, re- real depth and honesty of normal people, you know? These, these like, Harry wasn't famous until he was 91, 92, uh, and you know so many i think harry is exceptional and special but you think about all the people of his generation that we're not going to get to hear from and i'm sure some of them have incredible speeches and stories in them too and we're just never going to hear those either because they're in pauper's pits um or because they're just not around anymore and we didn't listen hard enough when they were um so yesterday my time um harry passed away uh it was really sad and um I didn't really know how to feel about it because it's also just kind of like this thing of like um a kind of I don't hate it but it makes me feel weird when people tweet about a death of somebody they didn't know or if they did know them kind of by proxy or like in this very like flimsy way it feels quite gratuitous to be like I knew them and I am sad um so I haven't tweeted about it or anything because I, I just feel like Harry meant a lot to me and he had a big impact on my life but I also don't want to commandeer um grief for the people who who were you know his closest people in his life uh and I don't know we made a video together on my channel and uh, we were emailing a few weeks before he died when he was like oh yeah Lena when I'm back in the UK um let's go for a coffee and talked about maybe having him on this podcast so yeah I had been in contact with him and I just I don't know I just I just didn't feel I didn't feel like I wanted to let Harry's death pass without comment uh but I also think that Platforms like Twitter can be a very frivolous, passing—you know—paying lip service to something that has a has a lot more depth for me. Anyway, at least like the, there's a lot more nuance to how I feel about Harry dying. And I don't think it's sadness, um, although I uh, is it is sad. It's just more this kind of like I don't think that Harry's story uh, deserves to go unnoted uh, by me or by anyone. But I also don't think it deserves to be in the sad section of any. Uh, reporting. So I, I, I think that Harry's life deserves celebration. And I'm so happy that I met him. I'm so happy that I read his book, Harry's Last Stand. I met Harry when he was 91. He died when he was like 95, he must have been. Um, so it's not a shock that he's gone, but it is sad. And I just wanted to take this moment to like kind of thank thank the universe for his life. I think that he is somebody who really hasn't left the world in quite the same way as it was when he found it and uh, he did something really like humbling and, and clever and intelligent to present his story in this way not just being like here's my story listen to it but like here's my story and how it relates to you he was so passionate about supporting the trans community uh, he was touring refugee camps up until the end of his life and he, he's just like one of those really bloody progressive old people that go actually to have harry as one of the people who was part of our history uh and i want to move forward uh for a britain that is uh as inclusive and caring and compassionate and strong as harry um was so anyway that's that's my very long ramble but i just wanted to put that in the good news section of the burrito time because he was an absolute legend and i didn't want to let that pass without being noted. Um, so yeah, I hope you agree that podcast form is a is a more nuanced. I think I think just uh, I don't know, I just felt like this was the place for it rather than a sentence on Twitter. So anyway on with the podcast. Um, we Today we have Laura Jane Williams. Um, thank you for all of you who attended uh, this live recording. I know we had a live show. It was the first live show of I'm Not Being Funny, but it was at the London Podcast Festival. Uh, Laura Jane Williams, uh, I've met a few times and I've been following her writing online for years. Um, she's absolutely bloody hilarious, uh, especially on Instagram stories. Uh, and she wrote this book that I absolutely devoured a couple of years ago called um, Ice Cream for Breakfast. So when I got this offer from London Podcast Festival uh, to do a live show, she was, like, literally the first person on my hit list. I was like, please, can we get her on? I know that the, like, the meme of, like, adulting has become quite big online and it's quite funny that... uh, So many of us don't feel invited to the adult world, even though like, I don't know, I'm 28 and I still feel like I'm like, what are the adults doing? I really need to sort them out. Then I remember that I am one. Um, So yeah, I really wanted to get her on because I think one, she's bloody hilarious. Two, I think every time I ask her a hard question and she answers in this compassionate, clever way, I just kind of breathe out. I don't know what it is, but my shoulders go down and I'm like, OK, I think I think life is manageable. And um, so I just wanted to share her energy with you, really. And uh, all the stuff we talked about, uh, we talk about rediscovering your inner child, looking after yourself um, and solving bullshit adult problems uh, in a childlike but not childish way. Very different things, and we'll discuss that later. Uh, so, anyway, without further ado, I will not keep you from Laura anymore. Uh, here is Laura Jane Williams, uh, who is author of Ice Cream for Breakfast, chatting to me at the London Podcast <laughs> Festival. Hi, <guys. laughs> Thank you so much for coming. we were like crawling onto stage like timid children, weren't we? We'll be shouting as we get off. Um, so, hello and welcome to this episode of I'm Not Being Funny, but. <laughs> uh, this is the- Podcast where we ask the questions we pretend we knew the answers to, or the ones we didn't think to ask. Now our guest today is Laura Jane Williams. She's an incredible author, writer, storyteller, Instagram -er, storyer, and columnist for Red Magazine. Um, So I'm really, really excited to have you, Laura. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We are asking the question: um, What? What are we asking? (laughs) Like the panic is real. No. what is it? Do we really have to grow up? Is that Shh. the question we're asking?
2: You're pointing at me as you say <laughs> it, so I, I believe you. How
3: ice cream for breakfast and how to solve bullshit adult problems. There we go. <laughs> I got that. Thank um, you. So thank you so much for coming, everyone. Um, and Laura, I have lots and lots of questions to ask you. Good. I'm sure you guys do too. So we are going to have some questions at the end. And we also have some questions from Twitter Um, but first I wanted to pick your brains Laura about how you came to write this book Um, because it's really exciting for me because I think sometimes um, I work in publishing and whenever I read about childhoods sometimes it's very traumatic childhoods Mm. or they're very Matilda kind of childhoods where somebody's very special and there's a magical thing that happens Mm. and somebody has something very extraordinary happen to them in their childhood but rarely do we get the chance to really discuss the idea of being a child Mm. and how we can keep that around Mm. so tell us your journey to writing the book.
2: <laughs> we're all well, it, it all started when. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my journey to writing the book. Well, I always say um, I always knew I wanted to write, but in my late teens, I kind of lost that magic. I'm from Derbyshire, I grew up in Yorkshire. Books were written by people not like me. Um, and so while well, I always had a predilection for writing and storytelling, I never had anybody say that was a possible thing to chase. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, I put off going to university. I travelled the world, finally went to university when I was 22. I mean... From the very beginning. Geriatric yeah. 22. Um, it's, <laughs> I was actually classed as a mature yeah, student. Yeah, they class you really early, don't they? And um, because I'd had three years earning my own money, mm. independent of my parents, like, they chucked they money at me you, to say, it? come aboard. Yeah, so, great, Derby <laughs> Uni, thanks.
3: Um, They're already impressing like an adult cut off there for like when you're a child then as well. It's like now you're a geriatric student or a mature student. Well, but I think
2: that put something in me of like, you've got to make this writing thing work. Mm I had pissed around enough to be like, I know which jobs I don't like. I know what I want to do. And I remember going to see um, one of my professors after I had graduated with a first class honours. The only thing getting... Thank Woo! you. The only thing that getting a first-class honours has ever really allowed me to do is, like, brag. <laughs> it's t- nobody cares if you've got a first-class <laughs> honours in writing stories. <laughs> um, and he said to me, yeah, you always were a little bit different. And I think what he meant was I pissed about enough so that when I was at university, I was very much committed to how do I build a career as a writer? I will do what it takes. Mm-hmm. Every job I did was to serve, I didn't build a career, I just, I had jobs that served getting published, and right before my 30th birthday, my first book was published. I had left London in order to do that, I had become what they call a digital nomad, (laughs) But I was a digital nomad, like lived on seven hundred pounds a month in Bali, which sounds like the dream. But it's when eat, play love, it's it is very <laughs> pray, love. I love it. Um, Didn't you try and qualify? Well, you did qualify to become a yoga instructor. I left well, two you... days before I would have qualified as a yoga instructor because I met a man and followed him to Delhi. And and I don't want to sound talk very
3: about it. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. That's what sets you apart from Elizabeth Gill, but you don't want to talk about it. And I it. don't
2: want to talk about it. Do you know what? Of course, I emailed when I was in my last relationship. How did incredible! They know? they're like, oh, I think she might be It's like a freedom dar. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. So I worked throughout my whole twenties to get published. I was so single-minded. There was not a single thing I did in my 20, in my twenties with regards to my job that wasn't in pursuit of publication. So I worked in SEO for a bit to figure out how to optimize my own website. I worked in PR for a bit to figure out how to talk about myself. I've been on Twitter for 10 years, like building myself up to, I'm an all right writer, probably not good enough to be, you know, picked from obscurity. Um, So I'm going to have to work really hard to prove I'm worth publishing got published right before my 30th birthday, got burnout, diagnosed with low-level anxiety and depression. Is it any fucking wonder (laughs) the pressure that I had put myself under to do this thing? And travelling, I mean, it was 18 months of travelling. I went everywhere from... Russia, I worked near the Ural Mountains, like near Serbia, uh, near Siberia for Mm. my geography is great. Near (laughs) Siberia, Syria. (laughs) For a little while, I was in Italy, I house sat in Switzerland, but I was totally removed from my support network. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I'm an introvert, and yes, I spend a lot of time alone, and that's where I get my energy, but I took it to the extreme. And it wasn't until I came back to London to have this book published. And I I explicitly remember I moved into a house in Stoke, Newington. I remember walking down the street probably late March, early April. The book came out in the June. And thinking the sun is shining and I can't feel it on my face. Which is like a very specific thought to remember. But that is what the sun is shining and I cannot feel it on my face. And Jesse Burton... was a year on from publishing The Miniaturist, and she had like a 3,000-word blog post that went quite viral, where she talked about the depression behind success, what had happened to her. Mm. I read Girl on the Net's book. Girl on the Net is an anonymous sex blogger. She's brilliant. I read her book, and it wasn't the sex stuff so much as when she unpicked anxiety. And I think if anybody had come at me headways to say you're not very well, I wouldn't have bought it. But because I had this softly, softly suggestion, because other people were sharing their stories, suddenly I understood I wasn't very well at all. Um, And so got this diagnosis, went on medication, went to therapy, and when I'm totally spent publishing my book, it was a heartbreak memoir about how my high school boyfriend dumped me, married my best friend. It's okay, I got to go to... India and fall in love with a guy at yoga teacher training. It all worked out. Um, I, had, I was just absolutely spent. I'd been away from my support network. I had given pieces of my soul to this manuscript and then furthermore to promote it. I talk about having sex in the book and The Sun ran an article with photographs they'd taken off Instagram of me doing yoga on a beach and called it Around the World in 80 Lays. And then that got picked up by the Daily Mail, who furthermore called me a slag. And wow. then 12 DJs on the BBC across the country, the 10 male DJs that I was interviewed by asked me how I would ever get a boyfriend again, because I talked about all the sex that I'd had. Um, Those 12 I, DJs? It was <laughs> the 10 male DJs and wow. two female ones, like understood women have disciples of shame shaming I was like, This is a very biblical story. <laughs> but so yeah. um, basically I was just spent, and I just went, you know what, I'll sod this for a bag of chips. I am <laughs> going to nanny some local kids for a bit. And that is how I came back to myself Was spending nine months with three little blonde girls who were not my own, Getting up at six o'clock every morning to braid three heads and braid, make three lunches and go to three different fucking schools. <laughs> if cl- I ever have to get on the number four bus again, <laughs> like it's just that that bus is it's dead to me. It's like a three-hour round trip or something. It is, but it was a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I would go home, I would eat cake, I would sleep all day, but I would get out of bed at three o'clock to go and pick up a six-year-old from school, and it mm. kept me alive. Had you worked with kids before that, or was My it whole kind life. of
3: like you went just like?
2: <laughs> do you know what I need to be I, around some? <laughs> Kids. Some kids I haven't no. seen them in years it's funny mm. I do not remember applying for the job I don't remember like what website I don't remember how it happened
3: you did apply there you didn't just walk into a lady's I house and be like "Merry Poppins Aor, from stop. the sky yeah
2: Aor, I'm not read <laughs> just <checking. Could> I... <laughs> we'll go park shall we um yeah you don't I remember I don't remember but obviously, there must have been something in me. I was eighteen when I first went to Sri Lanka to volunteer at an orphanage. I spent my whole twenties the summers, and I documented this in my first book. Becoming um, going to Italy and teaching English as a foreign language, I ran a children's language mm-hmm. school, um, and 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 I'm good. I'm good with kids. Yeah, I like children. For the record, do not like babies. Don't be pressured <laughs> into liking babies. You don't have to. Children... Different, can, different conversations, different experiences. And I just feel it's so important to say that because I heard Oprah say she doesn't like babies and was like, fuck me, I feel vindicated. <laughs> like, if Oprah says it's all right, I'm not a monster. Great. I'm sensing some merch coming on.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't like babies and I, I don't, don't... want to talk about it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's go night Yeah, that's yeah, that. yeah. I there you it's, go. It's, it's investment I'll plan a to be debated. <laughs> Fine. Um, there must have yeah. been something in me that recognised my happiest times throughout my twenties were these summers, where I would like drink and very much be an adult by night, <laughs> and then work with children in the day. Mary Poppins. And, and so that's what I did. I spent nine months yeah. nannying. Bearing in mind, I had just had my first book out. I was making headlines in every piece of national press and then I became the dating columnist for Grazia magazine and I would pick up my column my headshot in Grazia magazine and national magazine I had a column in it on my way to a part-time nannying job
3: and did people ask questions about that were they just like well why are you doing this when you're you know (laughs) I think there's sometimes a misconception about, about like the kind of reality of writing as well. Well, and that, look yeah. how many <laughs>
2: shoes Carrie Bradshaw had on a <laughs> column a week.
3: Is it any wonder? And I'm like, Dave, that's not the reality. <laughs> that's the real lie they're selling us. not the sex and Sex and the City. Yes. It's the writing. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yes,
2: it's true. Um, I tried to be quite honest mm. online. And because I'd spent my whole 20s with a view to publication, I had built up a community there's not a lot of us but I do refer to it as a community because I feel like if you get it you get it and you're in Mm -hmm. and if you don't get it you don't follow me because you know I'm not asked about you like I'm very touch wood I've never really been trolled or you know people know the rules in my house you Mm -hmm. play nice Mm -hmm. or you get out Um, and so I wanted to be honest about my community and was using hashtag Laura Jane Nannies Mm -hmm. to talk about the day that I was like the saddest of the saddest of the sad, and then a six-year-old slips their hand into yours and says, "Laura, do you think we can go on the swings now?" Oh my God, I don't have problems. <laughs> I don't have problems. You get on I'm the fucking swings. with a six-year-old who like thinks the sun shines out my ass. Yes. <laughs> I love and it. And I like who I am when I'm with children, mm. and I think that showed as I talked about them online and talked about them to the people. in. I called them Girl Squad, so I never put their face on my social media. I never put their names on my social media. Um, and they became known as Girl Squad, and their mum was Squad Mum. And I think people could just tell it was good for me.
3: Yeah,
2: and again, it's like one of those experiences, I guess, that you don't,
3: you do, you have been sharing, but it's also kind of a bit private as well. Yeah. At what, what point did you decide to write about it at what point in those nine months were you like this could be a book
2: well it's funny because as it happened people were saying oh book two book two and i'm like i, t- I don't know i could get a tweet out of this maybe i don't know about <laughs> eighty thousand words and then it was my publisher approached me okay. my first book could come out in the June and then we signed a contract in the, <laughs> bearing in mind I'd, make in a, I'd made a decision to step back from my career and then suddenly was like this columnist um, and then signed my second book deal in the October. Yeah. So by the next June, I, I, had, two, I had two books yeah. in nine months. Amazing. It, the Irish Twins. <laughs> Growing them like babies. Yeah, <laughs> they were like I, I, Irish Twins, yeah. yeah. So it was my publisher that approached me knowing that they wanted something around kids childlike stuff but i think they were seduced by this idea that mm. i very much appreciated i have got zero time i like i remember seeing it outside a card shop about like adulthood is a trick or, you know, stupid tweets about, like, lol, is this what being a grown-up is? Like, I've got mm-hmm. zero time for it. Yeah, I think between 25 and 30 is a fucking rough ride. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't pay me enough money to relive those years because you're a grown-up, but you don't have the perks of being a grown-up. You don't have money. You don't have a sense of self. You still don't have voice enough to say, this is what I'm worth mm. in relationships or, or in your job. I hit 30... And yes, I was on my arse. But I was on my arse in therapy and on drugs. And it, it, and it was the, the making of me. Yeah. Um, I believe in the difference between childlike and childish. Zero time for childish. That's why I'm not dating right now. <laughs> that sounds like a whole <laughs> other podcast. <laughs> but I'm not being funny, but why isn't Laura dating? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're like, wow. Childish, no time for childish. Childlike yeah. is so utterly charming. Childlike, And the definition of charm being making the person you're talking to feel as seductive as you feel
3: yeah because you talk in the book about feeling special and like having when you're with a child the child makes you
2: feel special yes and that yeah. is a beautiful that child slipping their hand into mine to say mm-hmm. can we go on the swings now even now I was with these girls last night they're still in my life I stayed at their house we did a sleepover we had an adventure today and even as I got out the cab at their house and they were leaving the house to go swimming and hearing "Lord." <laughs> like, maybe like, like it's me. You know, <laughs> she's 12 now. I can't lift her, but still, that like, yeah, yeah. just um. And um, being childlike is about being curious and enthusiastic and asking questions and having that sense of adventure and not worrying about being cool. Childish is like stomping your foot and using the baby voice and throwing tantrums. Not interested. Yeah. Really, couldn't be less interested. Childlike is charming yeah
3: what we need to get back to yeah there's a absolutely. quote in the beginning of your book from picasso who's like it takes a lifetime to become a child or something like that yeah learned a lot and about it's picasso
2: like... since i quoted <laughs> like, him yeah don't know if i deep, don't know if rate him as a bloke oh okay right <laughs> full yeah. disclaimer yeah full disclaimer
3: I bad people I... can say really good quotes for really good yeah, fringe it's magnets it's
1: true it's true um, <laughs>
3: So I had a list, because I absolutely loved your book, and I'm, I might have consumed it in about 24 hours. Thank um, you. And part of it, I think, was what's great about it is this cold ice cream for breakfast. <laughs> ice It's now available in paperback. Yeah. Um, is this idea, one of, like, having this kind of community with kids that aren't yours and having, taking this kind of joy from it. But it also, like, I kind of made a list of lots of assumptions that I didn't realise I had until I read the book. About so adulthood. About adulthood. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could go through some of them. Sure. And I'm going to play my... my past self who thought this and you can argue with me okay (laughs) tell me what i'm wrong Uh, yep so i've got eight of them right are you ready wait yeah i'm ready okay you ready ready for the point um one by adulthood you should know who you
2: are is that true i mean i take issue with any kind of should yeah shoulda woulda coulda shoulda woulda coulda rather. a fool (laughs) and an unhappy fool yeah uh should is a fucker Mm mm-hmm um, so, should nothing, mm-hmm. you decide your rules. And do you know what? Beyonce said this in her yeah. Year of Four documentary. Um, how does anybody else know who I am and I still don't know myself? And I'm like, you are Beyonce, Giselle mm-hmm. Knowles, and still becoming. And I try and remind myself that's why I called the first book Becoming. May your becoming never end. We are always evolving. Mm. I think, and now I'm going to quote Jay Z. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Why Let's make not? It a triple <laughs> but he said, "Well, like, of course I've changed. Wouldn't it be miserable?" I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. But he basically said, yeah. of course I've changed. Like, it would be miserable if It'd be I creepy. hadn't." Yeah. So it, when we say it like an accusation, "You've changed," mm. well, thank you so much. I'm learning.
3: Yeah. Because I think again, and I'm not blaming social media for this. I think it's genuinely the way we use social media. But it's the idea sometimes that people feel like they have to make a profile of themselves. Yeah. Summarise themselves in a picture and a few words, Yeah. and then that can't change. Yeah. That can't. And again, when we put opinions on the internet, those can't change either. And it's kind of yeah. like we've gone back to stone tablets <laughs> that just yeah. like carved, and then we can't change. Yeah. So that I'm was really very important. proud
2: of my public commitment to evolution.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Of like, and that can be my personal brand. My personal brand doesn't have to be cynic philosopher, loves yeah. vanilla ice cream, or whatever. Yeah. Um, my, my, my hashtag personal brand can be Changing endlessly mind. curious. Yeah. Sadie yeah. Smith wrote a whole collection of essays called On Changing My Mind. She said she's not loyal to any one doctrine apart from inconsistency. <laughs> All power to you, babe. We need more grey area yeah. in life but like being sympathetic we're also so keen to box other people in so we know how to think about them that's why you know I say this is a 32 year old child free single woman but why there are so many questions about somebody would be single by choice and child free for now Um, because it unnerves us, well, she doesn't want a boyfriend, she doesn't want a partner, that I don't know what to do with that information, yeah, Yeah. basic psychology, in and out group preferences, we like people to do what we do so that we know exactly where we stand. Mm. Uh, Tell me you're a liberal, fine, but show it to me with your acceptance of the choices of others, that we're all just doing our best. Yeah, definitely,
3: and I suppose you also probably saw the kids you were looking after change, As well, because sometimes we can, with kids, I think adults have a tendency to be like, well, that's the loud one. She's trouble. She's very well behaved. And you probably had to have that nuance and be like, actually, these kids are very complex
2: and probably change every month. Yeah. And learning to adapt my language to be like, that was a very loud moment rather than like, you're, you're always loud. Why can't you be quiet like your sister? Mm. It's like, that was a loud moment or that was a great crossing the road moment. 10 out of 10. Just
3: like... <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Rather but than it making like it forever. But that is what made me go, God, I'm so kind to these girls. Acknowledging 10 out of 10 for how you crossed the road, Ben. Like, you looked both ways, you did it. 10 out of 10. And just... And then you move on with your life. And you go, why am I riding myself so hard? My friend Dan said for a long time he didn't think he was good enough to be a perfectionist. <laughs> Incredible. That resonates with me so hard. I don't feel good enough to be a perfectionist. Yeah. I'm going to congratulate myself every time I cross the road now. I'm going to. Yeah. Be- didn't get hit by a car. Didn't get hit 10. by a car. Well, still living. Uh, but also, on the day that I had my phone in my hand and I was checking my email as we went across a zebra cobb crossing and a cabbie lent out of his window and went try putting your fucking phone away and instead of like flipping in the bird i like yeah he's right and the girl said what did he say what did he say i said he said i shouldn't be crossing the road with my phone and he's right even with the adjectives still learning <laughs> yeah. still learning yeah now you're like yeah. you're right sir uh,
3: yeah. and i really like your white van <laughs> Compliments to the chef. thank you for the feedback <laughs> thank you um, for inspiring me to be better <laughs> Um, next, can we have a book about what I learnt from the white van man? <laughs>
2: that would yes. Be, that yeah. would be
3: humbling indeed. Yeah. Maybe it's more of a Crikey, short essay. I should be making
2: notes. I've got an entire <laughs> like, Don't worry, plan. i thought I did. Um,
3: So, number two, um, when I'm an adult, I thought I had to stop making decisions with my gut and be reasonable. Because like, a lot of the time, I, just, I think as a kid, I like, ran about bouncing off walls, essentially. <laughs> um, and then when I was like an adult, I was like, why do I keep making decisions with my gut? I need to like... But then in the book, you talk about making decisions with your gut and being okay with that.
2: I think we always know what the answer is and mm-hmm. any searching is just trying to get other people on board with what it is you really want. Ooh. I think typically we're just looking yeah. for that validation because it's scary and if you are doing something that not everybody else is doing, you want to know it's all right. We we we're, we're all just looking for reassurance, mm. which is why it's so nice, so nice to say well done for crossing the road well, you know, like, just be nice to each other. I have two Australian friends, and they'll be like, oh, babe, that was really nice, the way that you asked after that man at the coffee shop. Like, I see you. And you're like, you just, you want to be a better person because you know that somebody's acknowledging Yeah, like raising mistakes. Yeah. So I think hmm. you can absolutely trust your guts. And I, I, you are allowed to want what it is. That you want, and you do not have to justify that. If you want a hug, if you want a kiss, if you want that five pounds back, if you want to go bungee jumping, mm-hmm. bungee diving, skydiving, I don't know what they call it. <laughs> Obviously, I don't. One want of those, <laughs> yeah. Whatever the kids are doing. Yeah. Move um, to Derbyshire. If you want to move to Derbyshire, I just left London, I did that. You are allowed to want what it is you want, and we live in a culture of such like, Deprivation and policing, and um, I can never remember who said it, and I'm totally going to bastardise how it was said. How unlike me to get just quote from from anon.
3: That's what I do. I'm like anon said.
2: no, but it's a woman, and I don't want to anonymise a woman. It'll come to me as we walk off stage. I'll come back and be like, I'll tell you the quote is Marilyn Monroe. You. (laughs) It was Audrey Hepburn. What she said about the Kardashians was. You have to be brave with your life so that other people can be brave with theirs. And that's where my own boldness and bravery comes from. Mm -hmm. It's like, if this permits another person to step into their own truth, that domino effect of truth is like such a fucking turn on. Yeah. That's the biggest turn on. So by honouring your gut and saying what you want, you know, you're not going to hurt anybody normally. Um you're allowed to want what it is you want. If you don't want to study science and you want to study history, if you want to, you're allowed to want what it is you want.
3: Yeah, because I think sometimes I find myself telling people a story about what, how I've come to that decision yeah. without them asking for it. And I'm like, see, I've weighed it all up and here's how it reasonably makes sense. Yeah. So this is what I'm going to do rather than just be like, I feel like it. Yeah. I'm going to do it.
2: You can just feel like yeah. it. Yeah.
3: Another one, I had was sleep is negotiable. No.
2: <laughs> She's like, no. No, it's not. I'm and sleep I'm activist.
3: T- t- like, <laughs> depression taught me that. Yeah.
2: If I do not get eight, nine hours, the world is ending. <laughs> the world is ending. And it's exhausting to manage your own exhaustion. And then yeah. when you're knackered, you make shit decisions that make you feel like shit. And then you don't sleep because you're up thinking about them. Mm-hmm. But then you made a
3: thing in the book about how you wouldn't say to a kid, like, well, you've got to do all this stuff, otherwise you can't yeah. go to Listen, bed. Listen, <laughs> five-year-old tiny Tim, I
2: want you to make your bed. I want you to finish that math test. I don't care if it's five to 11, you've got jobs to do. <laughs> you'd go, do you know what, babe? Up the chimney. Yeah, come on, put your little boy shorts on. chim chim chew. choo I can't wait to have a child so somebody else can mow my lawn. <laughs> can we just... <laughs> Every time... I've moved into a house with a lawn, and every time I do it, I'm like, I just want an eight-year-old boy, and I'll give him a quid. It's not a big lawn, but it does my head in. Uh, Don't tweet this out of context. (laughs) 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 My child can go to bed when the lawn is mowed. Um, Yeah, no, you wouldn't do that to Tiny Tim, Mm. would you? You don't do it to yourself. So don't do it to yourself, you mentalist. Do you know what? I'm going on (laughs) holiday tomorrow. I'm here with all of my luggage. (laughs) I came down to London yesterday... Work, yeah, uh, yeah, work Friday, work uh, today, going on holiday. So obviously you have that like pre-holiday thing of like, all of the things must be done. Like the dishwasher must be empty. The house must be spotless. Can't come home to a dirty house. Like um, I've been working on my third book. I needed, I call it the trash draft, the worst first draft in the world, but it's done. Got to do this, got to do that, got to do that. And I am a columnist for Red Magazine. I'm an online columnist. So I filed a column for this week, knowing I would need to file a column for next week. I had not got it done. I emailed and said, Can I not? Can we move it to the end of the month? And she said, Sure, fine, no problem. Oh my God! <laughs> and, and you were like, like, But it's a weekly column. I would have <laughs> these are the rules. Yeah, yeah, these are the rules. And she's like, Well, just it's online. And you like, ask the mm. question. If she'd have said no, fine, I would have sucked it up, I would have done it. At least I could like bitch somebody else out. Yeah. And I was <laughs> staying up until 3 a.m. But like, I make my own to-do list. I decide how much pressure to put on myself. And again, my 20s, I totally lost all perspective of that. When I had depression, it got to the point where a friend who had also had depression and had really not been very well at all, she said, do one thing a day. If you can do one thing a day, you are fine. And if that one thing a day is going to the post office, go to the post office, you fucking smashed it, babe. Well done, going to the post office. Ten out of ten. Uh, if that is answering an email, if that is writing a dating column, just do one thing, mm. and from then, I had depression, so I felt like I could be ruthless and say, "Can't go to your party, it gives me anxiety." Why is people mm. still having parties? Does anybody <laughs> enjoy being part of thirty people in a basement bar? I like the impromptu party. I wish
3: people would just impromptu. turn up because then there's no anticipation or like, "Oh, I feel like that now," but next week I won't feel like yeah. it.
2: We should just all leave our doors open. This is the lesson or here. A, Well, yeah, if you leave London, it does actually happen. I was, yeah, I was oh, watching hello. your Instagram stories just pop in on people. I was like, what do, is popping in? Yeah. Like, how yeah, does one know. pop in? Do you not send a text? That's incredible. No. Although, when I do start dating somebody, I'm going to have to have a word with Rick and Jane, my parents, on <laughs> the dropping in. Uh, but we don't have to deal with that right now. It's fine. Just change
3: the locks. <laughs> hill like, water Yeah, that's true. You need, need <laughs> the slave labour from the parentals yeah. as well. Um, another thing I wrote down was, um, liv- limits and boundaries have to please other people. So, like, one of the examples you use in your book is, like, when a kid is like, you can't be my friend if you do that. Yeah. But, like, we don't feel like we can place conditions on things or yeah. place boundaries up. Yeah. But you're the queen of
2: boundaries. How would you do I'm it? L- I'm learning. I quote Drew Barrymore <laughs> in the book. <laughs> he said... Again, not like me to bastardize a quote. is it? <laughs> Laura's
3: Who's... collection of fridge magnets is coming out in the fall. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> I tell you, business plan. Yeah, don't, don't worry about it. I've got you monetized. <laughs> you can do the morals. <laughs> uh,
2: I've forgotten. Drew Barrymore. My, my, now I'm going. I've got pound signs in my eyes. <laughs> Sorry, strategy. Drew Barrymore said, "Constant love and constant boundaries," mm-hmm. or words to that effect. Danielle Laporte, again, recently had a very problematic time of it, but when she was good, said, um, wide open heart, big fucking fence. And I just think I would ask you to take your shoes off if you had muddy boots and you were coming in my house, so I have to keep my own house, my mental house, the same. Mm -hmm. And that means telling people to take off their muddy boots. Or it means saying... I can't go to your party in a basement bar with 30 other people because I'm going to have anxiety for a month over how much I can't do that. So I'm going to say no now. Mm-hmm. I, I have a very inclusive online presence, but I have to draw the line with emails, emails, three pages long asking me for advice i cannot take on that emotional i totally respect that you would reach out to somebody Mm -hmm. but if i'm getting 10 or 20 or 30 emails a week of that i try and reply but to be very much like thank you so much for your email like i see you i cannot comment on this whereas previously Mm -hmm. maybe i would have tried to take on the role of like agony aunt that's not my place to do that um you know, like, mm. I was, I was going to say even like, you know, if dad pisses off mum or mum pisses off dad, I don't want to hear it. You're my parents, don't, yeah. so they have a wonderful marriage. Mm. But like, for example, I don't even want to know that, well, you're, you're, your dad always, she doesn't just, stand just like you like, don't say like always,
3: that. say he had a moment of. Yeah.
2: Oh, and he yeah. did cross the road today, so leave him alone. Yeah. Well, he had a right dickhead moment. <laughs> All right, mum, calm down. Um, just, yeah, drawing mm. lines. But again, I think that's a gift to other people because when people do that to me, and I use the example of the friend that I'm going on holiday with tomorrow, I call her famous blogger, Megan Gilbride, because she went once went to Northampton College and that's how they advertised her on the poster <laughs> when she did this talk. Famous blogger, Megan, Megan Gilbride, at Wonderful You. And um, she h- spent £150 on some Tom Ford Gucci perfume and her friend was photographing her and I was there and a friend said, Oh, you smell lovely. Can I have a spritz? And Megan said, It cost me 150 pounds. No. And I was like, I would just said, yeah, go. Yeah, you know, <laughs> let me bend over, let's spritz your arsehole. would well, you like both like me?" <laughs> yeah, and I just and I just thought <laughs> to have this sense of self to go, that's my really expensive thing that I've saved for. You know, mm. like that's a quid a spritz. Mm. I just had so much respect for that. And and now my relationship with Megan. You can tell I'm in a podcast recording. Normally, she's just like Meg's or Oi. I'm like, (laughs) like, (laughs) with Megan. (laughs) Follow her ads. Yeah. But my relationship with Megan is I know where I stand. Yeah. And I fucking love knowing where I stand. And she knows, you know, she asked me, can you look after my dog when she she was going away? And like, she knows that I would say no if I didn't want to look after her dog. So Mm. it's actually a gift to have boundaries and to have a big open heart so that you remain childless, child-ish, <laughs> remain child Remain childless. child At all times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> having an open heart allows you to remain childlike, but the big fucking fence keeps your heart open because yeah. you're not becoming jaded and closed mm-hmm. by because you'll only one day flip your shit and then like never be the same again. Throw the <laughs> I it at people. of all of you! <laughs> yeah. Do you think that translates I wasn't into. The
3: mic, <laughs> so... um, we promise not to yell <laughs> too much to peak the mics, but uh, um, do you think that translates into social media as well? Because I like you saying like social media is like your house. So it's like don't swear at me in my house <laughs> or I'll shut oh, you out. Yeah. yeah. Like
2: I, I've got no. If, I, I, I don't owe anybody anything. Yeah. These are the rules of my house. I think it's very obvious what the rules of my house are. Yeah. And it's not like disagree with me and you're out, but come the fuck on. Like, there's a way to point out if I've said... Like, um, for example, Mm -hmm. I was on an Instagram story and I did an Irish accent um, and that displeased somebody because it was playing to type, it was disparaging... Um, but the way she approached that was to, like, do a rant on Twitter, mm. like, slagging me off. Why do I then still have to give you access to what I'm putting out on the internet mm. when you don't want to educate me, you want to humiliate me? Yeah. I'm not... I'm not avail- My friend Lucy Sheridan, the UK's only comparison coach, says... <laughs> I'm not available for that feedback. I was not available for her feedback. She mm. had a great point. I shouldn't have been doing an Irish accent saying this like stupid mm. like Irish dumb. Like I learned something from that. But I I don't have to, you know, I blocked her. She doesn't get to see my stories yeah. now. That's fair. I also don't do the Irish accent anymore. <laughs> but you know <laughs> what, what I mean? Happened. Like, she, yeah. she wanted to humiliate me, not educate me. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, you know, blocked, mm. don't have to think about it again. But it's the
3: same with children, I suppose. Like, when you, when a child does something wrong, you explain it to them. Yeah. And then, yeah. Oi. Or don't use pack shame to, yeah.
2: That's definitely. rude. <laughs> pack it in. Move on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's also a gift because it means you don't hold a grudge. Yeah. I've, I've made my point, I've said my case, let's move on, let's have a lovely time. Yeah,
3: definitely. Um, another one that I think I definitely internalised was, like, if something isn't working, you should just stick with it. No! Whereas, you, <laughs> whereas you say that children are just like, they'll try something, it's definitely not working, they'll fuck it off and they won't think about it again. Yeah. And they won't talk about it, they'll just be like, oh, I did a
2: thing, it didn't work. Yeah. Carrying on. Uh, my whole life I've thought I'd make a brilliant improv actress. <laughs> And then I went to an improv class and I was like, oh, people, have, people train in this for years and years precisely because of what that woman is doing on stage there <laughs> as I'm like watching this scene and going, I don't have time for this. I don't want to dedicate years and years. I want to come in and be the best and I'm not. So I'm actually not bothered. I'm not passionate about the process. Yeah. So I think mm. there's a time and place to stick with something. Don't tell me that you're writing a book where what you mean is you like to talk to people at parties about writing a book. Sit down, do your trash <laughs> draft, get your eighty thousand words. I, are, you know, I'm not interested otherwise. Yeah. Um. But also, if you start writing a book and then go, I, this isn't enjoyable for me. I don't want to stick with this. Mm. I actually think this is like a short story or a series of tweets. Great, pivot, move, yeah. be agile, change, and again, yeah. evolve that public evolution of like. Just do what you want to do. Do what feels good. Mm. Don't punish yourself. Life's too short. Yeah,
3: and it comes back to trusting your gut as well, I suppose. It's just kind of like, you'll know if something isn't really your thing.
2: I've hated doing the trash draft of Mm -hmm. my third book, but it's love-hate. Like, I know I'm getting there, and I know it fuels me, and I know it excites me. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't feel that way by improv, so I just stopped. Yeah. Another
3: one, style over comfort. Especially when I got my first job, I was like, I must buy a lady outfit now. I was like, I will go to the lady shops and purchase a lady outfit. (laughs) That didn't go well.
2: No, Um, as you
3: can see. What are you on about? (laughs)
2: Um, No, comfort. Be comfy, Mm -hmm. be comfy, be comfy.
3: Yeah, it reminds me of The Sound of Music, where she makes all their clothes out of curtains (laughs) and then lets them run around in curtains all day. She's like, it's fine. Yeah. The play outfits. Be
2: comfortable. If you can't climb the climbing frame in what you've got on... Then what's the point? Like, yeah. I don't want to sit recording a podcast in front of an audience and be worried about my side boob or my angle or you know, can you see up my skirt? Like, yeah. I feel I feel good in what I'm wearing now, which is like masculine mm-hmm. tailing and a bit of gold jewellery. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, watching these kids just like tear through the park or, or even for me to hang out with them, I never want to be the person that's like. No, 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 no. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, possibly everybody will know who I'm talking about about this. I'm not going to get on the bandwagon of slagging off a particular matriarchal family. Um, but I did see a video recently of um, a star's little girl going in to kiss her face. But before she did it, and she's like three, she pulled away and said, You have makeup on? And had to check with her mum whether she had her face on. And she didn't. And so went in and was like, mm, 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 and they could do kisses. And I guess that's why the video made it to the internet. But I was like, gosh, there is something about... I have been known to say I'm not going on the trampoline. I've got a podcast recording in an hour in front of an audience. <laughs> That's fair. Let's do this. You're just making but sure like... you get knocked out on the trampoline. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I went on a bike ride. I was like, babe, we've oh. got to go slow because if I get hurt, there's no time for <laughs> hospital before, my, before the gig. Um, so dedicated. Yeah, so be comfortable.
3: Life's too short not to be comfortable. Yeah. Another one was don't embarrass yourself. So, And I've got a quote from you here. <laughs> This one's Are by you gonna call Laura J. Williams. Me? Yeah. You said, shame starts as a conversation and then ends as a monologue. Oh.
1: Where did
2: I say that? You said
3: it in the book. Did <laughs> I? It's in there. It sounds very clever, doesn't it? <laughs> but I liked that because it made me think about how you're like, show, show me the receipts. I was like, it's on my Kindle in the dressing room. <laughs> um, and it reminded me of this kind of whole thing I of like... I did have depression you... when I wrote that book. That was like... <laughs> Zipping through it. Um, like this idea of like shame starting as something that is interacting with other people and then you just start having a conversation with yourself mm. and you don't realise that it's not actually relative to other people and it's, yeah. it's become insular.
2: I think there's, there's a lot to be said for training yourself to go, that is a thing that happened.
3: Mm.
2: Not... That is a thing that happened, and it was bad, and so I am a bad person. And then sort of having this mental scoreboard where you go, another chalk to show I'm a useless piece of a human being, (laughs) Um, which is kind of like how I Mm. got. Um, Stuff happens. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. If a good thing happens, it doesn't make you a better person. It all just... So releasing that judgment and having to categorize everything as tick or minus, I I think it's like stopping doing that. And also in the book, you talk about um,
3: kids having scars and being really proud of them. I mean, like, hey, this scar is a story. Do you want to hear the story? Yeah. <laughs> like, I love that kind of, like, freedom of just being like, look at all the weird things that yeah. have happened to me. And
2: I don't mean that as, like, "Oh, here's the said story. Just that it may be mm. interesting. Just like, that's a thing that happened. I had depression. That is a thing that happened. Like, mm. you, no weight. And again, I think we weight things as good and bad as an attempt to keep ourselves within... This box, so we know how to think of ourselves, so other people know how to think of us, Um, and we think of other people that way. And I actually think this idea of, like, practising the generosity of ambiguity with other people, so kind of like I had to do with these three little girls who didn't belong to me, Mm. then meant I was able to embrace my own ambiguity and develop this kind of working theory of, like, oh, I don't have to weight everything at all just is amazing (laughs) it's the randomness of the universe it's just so freeing and it doesn't mean I don't care it's not like I don't give a fuck I do give a fuck but I'm mindful about where I spend them and I'm Mm -hmm. not spending my fucks on self-loathing absolutely I've got a finite amount of fucks to give yeah (laughs) now we're all going to stand up for the rousing chorus of I'm every woman (laughs) let's do it it it's all in me (laughs) Um,
3: my last one I had was making friends is hard. I think that's something that as adults, it's a lot harder for people to make friends, but you like talk about the kids and you're like, they just bound up to people and they'll just talk
2: to them. Can I pet your dog? What are yeah. you doing? What are you eating? Yeah, yeah. what's well, that? Um, yeah. And I think because the, the ironic thing is we're a generation of people lonelier than any generation before us for mm. a million reasons. So connected, yet so alone. So, <laughs> so connected and so alone. Mm. I wouldn't have a job if it weren't for social media. You'll never hear me slagging social media off. I reckon if social media is hurting your mental health, it's because you're using social media wrong. Mm. Call it picnic. Problem in chair, not in computer. It's not social media that's wrong. It's our consumption of it.
3: Yeah.
2: Oh, I suddenly got very serious <laughs> and very low with my voice. But, like, remember. Um, yeah, like I won't hear a bad word said about Instagram. If Instagram makes you feel mm. bad, you're following the wrong people. Yeah, definitely. Instagram is a magazine that you can edit. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. again. <laughs> so unlike me. Herein lies Laura. She went off on tangents and never directly quoted anybody properly. Um, so I think the... The ironic thing... You see, I'm going to go off stage and go, fucking hell, Laura, you didn't half-bloody go off on tangents. That is just a thing that happened. It's not <laughs> that's, a good thing. That's good. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing that happened. Do. That's what kids tangents. do. It's what kids Like, yeah, it was, yeah, I was fine. Um, I think the ironic thing is, she says, beginning the same sentence for the fourth time, I will not get distracted, we are so connected, yet so lonely we so desperately want to make friends, and in a way, it's that desperation that repels the people we want to make friends with in the first place. That is shattering. You cut me deep, yeah. Because, then we come on strike. It's like, all my favorite people in my life have been slow burners, but we so want that validation of, well, I saw you this week. What are you doing next week? What are you doing the week after? Like, I mean, God, that's how I have dated. It's like, get me the next date in the diary so that I, in my head, I know where to file I am wanted and fancied. Yeah. It's the same with friends. She says belching on Mike. <laughs> um, it's the same with friends of, like, making taking that, I mean, I just... I really, once upon a time, I think on Twitter, we were all able to go, oh my God, be my friend. And that is like such an invasive, pressurised thing to say. Mm. There's a lot to be said for developing relationships. And again, not waiting every interaction as good or bad. When I was a dating columnist, I read a book called, is it called Get the Guy? Matthew Hussy? We're going to have a lot of notes in this
3: podcast to be like. Here are <laughs> all the things Laura this actually quote from mentioned. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, again, tangent. It is what it is. Matthew Hussey wrote a book, Get the Guy, I think. I trusted Matthew Hussey. He's a lad from Essex and he was going out with Camilla Cabello off of Fifth Harmony. <laughs> And I thought, had, if and I all was the gonna, trust factors. Well, do you know what I sign. mean? If I was going to run a marathon, I wouldn't ask someone that's not run a marathon. If I'm looking for somebody's advice on getting into a great relationship, I'm going to ask the guy that's dating Camilla Cabello off of Fifth Army. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> if you landed her, I trust you. She's not a prize to be won. She's a woman in her own right. He said about flirting. <laughs> F- feminist footnote. <laughs> <laughs> she. He said about flirting, it's no good waiting till you fancy somebody to have a flirt. That is like refusing to learn your lines before you get on stage. So if you flirt with everybody, when you actually need to to turn it on, you're in good practice. This is just another person that you're having a bit of a lull with. And I think that's the same for relationships, for friendships. It's getting out of this idea of I'm so lonely and talking. And again, the girls taught me this. Talking to the person at the corner shop. yeah, you all right? Mm. Thanks ever so much. Oh, what about this rain? Not being weird, but learning to have a chat. Have a chat with the person making your coffee. At the bus stop, don't make eye contact on public transport. That's recipe for success. (laughs) Uh, Not for success. Um, Depending on how you define success. But yeah. But so what I'm saying is um, practicing engaging with the world. So when there is somebody that you want to make friends with, it's not this like weighted, heavy, oh my god, I've got one chance, I'm gonna blow it. Like we've got to go out, we've got to hang out. It all just is it's all just part of a richer tapestry Mm -hmm. you can make friends when you're older it doesn't have to be this whole big deal but we don't need to put so much weight on it Mm -hmm. that like that one last interaction is the be all and end all if you are a person to whom other people are attracted because you remain open to communication that is far more seductive energy than I like you and only you. Will you be my friend? <laughs> I have
3: three slots to fill. Yeah. You have been selected. I talk to everyone and mm-hmm. the, the, the friendships will happen organically. Yeah, and I think also it's interesting like how we've consumed media around friendships where like just logistically you can't have more than maybe six or seven characters in a sitcom because it's just confusing. Yeah. So then everybody thinks that most people should have six or seven people yeah. in their life and know them forever. And I'm like, that's yeah. just a
2: convention so that writing TV is easy. Do you know what? Since <laughs> moving to Dublin, Sure, away mm-hmm. from London and so tell me how it is <laughs> tell me on it what's it like outside it's, zone three <laughs> it's very quiet <laughs> very quiet and a real pain in the ass to stay on top of that lawn mowing <laughs> a real issue for me uh, but I'm down the road from mum and dad so I'm seeing my mum and dad almost every day I mm. swear to god I have not mentioned a friend's name to them with the odd exception of two or three, more than once. I'm always talking about somebody else. And in a way, that makes me feel like I don't have friends. Because I'm not just, like, saying the same for, you know, my gang, my Mm. friends gang, my sitcom gang. I just know all of these people from all these different lifetimes that I've led, you know, like, getting a call... From you getting a call, like when she, <laughs> I got emails. I don't from use the producer, phone, but you know, like mm. coming here and doing this. But you and I haven't seen each other face to face. Yeah, in ages. For like but two, like we had a wine. It yeah, was good. Do you, yeah, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's it's building these webs is not this complex formulaic. Thing. It just happened.
3: Mm. But again, it's that thing of like, Laura, do you remember we had fun those times? Do you want to have another, some more fun? Yeah. Like, yeah, fun again. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this whole like checking in thing. Yeah. I really like it. Now I've been hogging Laura for a very long time. I'm very sorry about it. I can tell. People have eyes on me. So I want to open it up to the audience. I uh, do you have some questions from Twitter as well. So while you're thinking of your question, I'm going to ask one from Twitter, from Twatter very important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so Rebecca asks, how do you cope with discovering that your childhood dreams are not attainable? Dark one to start off with. <laughs> like so, cuz I think also like I definitely had a lot of ideas growing up of like where I would be when I was 25, where I'd be when I was 28, like, married with doing? kids and on 100 grand <laughs> you know, like, a year. RIP. Yeah. <laughs> that dream. But um like and I realized that when I was making those dreams, I was actually quite immature and I didn't really want those things, yeah I but then I still feel the, like, disappointment in myself for not doing the things. Yeah. Frankly, I thought I'd be with the circus, but no circus would take me because I can't <laughs> do a cartwheel. So this is... It's devastating. But but um. But, um but, but, yeah, like, how do you deal with those, those ideas of, like, childhood dreams that don't happen and accepting them?
2: I think it comes down to the evolution of the self, again. Mm-hmm. That my dreams change day on... That agility, that not pegging yourself in, that following your bliss. Um, yes. Uh, Liz Gilbert talks about the the hummingbird theory that she very much used to talk about, like, follow your bliss and the rest will fall into place. And a lot of people are like, I don't know what my bliss is. (laughs) What am bliss? What what am (laughs) bliss? And so it's just about, like, doing the stuff that turns you on, fucking off the stuff that doesn't. Mm. That's a happy life, doing more of the stuff that you love. And that can be hanging out with kids that don't belong to you that can be writing a book that can be you know how much money do you really need money is nice I've only started earning proper money since I turned 30 and I understand the difference between I always got by versus um like have it feeling more comfortable and Mm. yeah um, but how much money do we really need? Oh, my God, I thought I'd be like a lawyer on half a million a year. Yeah. Nobody no.
3: is. <laughs> Even
2: the lawyers are Even aren't the lawyers aren't. Not as rich aren't. as they look. So it's, I think it's, it's about the evolution of the self and that constant forgiveness, the evolution of the self. I mean, I think there's a lot of day-to-day forgiveness that I forgive myself for not having written that column and needing to not do it. I forgive yeah. myself. That I relied on my mother to empty my dishwasher before I left. I forgive myself that maybe I've gone off on a tangent today. I forgive myself <laughs> that I've not had my hair coloured since January. I forgive myself. Yeah. I suppose if you had written that column, it wouldn't have been,
3: it would have been like a, a thoughts on sli- sleep deprivation and arbitrary deadlines. Yeah, it would Because again, it's like yeah. that thing of like, what it would have been isn't what you wanted it to be. Yeah. So. I like that. Yeah. Um, questions? Does anybody have one? I think we've got a roaming mic going on. Yes, over here. This lady down here. Hello. Great dungarees. Thank you.
2: <laughs> um, so I am also oh. from Derbyshire, land of excitement. Um, and I think it would be my mum's like biggest goal for me to move home. It's every uh, mother's biggest yeah. goal <laughs> to have their child move home. But what terrifies me about that is like building an adult life in a place I knew as a child. So how do you kind of go about being a grown-up in a place where you were always young, if that makes sense? That's a good question. Yeah, it is a good Good question. (laughs) It is a good question. I actually moved all over when I was growing up. So going to Derbyshire was always about visiting my parents, not going home. But it has been interesting. Like, my mum is one of five sisters. Can you believe it? It's the eldest. And then a set of twins. And then a set of twins. Um, So three pregnancies, five babies. My nana was a trooper. Uh, tangent, what tangent? (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so I do have this wider family who I thought, thought of me as an irresponsible, selfish, child-free, career-driven, unsentimental arsehole. And now I'm there, and they're seeing me for who I am. I'm seeing myself through new eyes. And I have a very good relationship with my parents now. And whenever I talk about that on social, I'm always very careful to say it wasn't always this way. And I have a lot of opinions about how to have like better relationships with your parents. We are asking our parents for permission so much. We just want the validation. We're still little kids in their eyes. And it's about meeting your parents as an adult. And in a way, it, it kills me. I wrote a column, a red column on this, actually, where I was like, how dare you throw a tantrum that your parents aren't treating you like an adult? You are proving their point. And I'm not, again, tangent. Um, You're proving their point. And I had people message me on social going, I'm literally 25 years old and in my bedroom because I've got, had a weekend at home and fallen out with my mum and dad. I'm going to go and say, sorry. <laughs> oh. Showing up to the relationship as the person you want to be rather than letting the relationship define who you are. So I've had to do a lot of that. I am a 32-year-old woman who earns her own money, has her own car, has rented this house, who mows her own lawn um for now for now (laughs) yeah
3: find an eight-year-old kid
2: around somewhere (laughs) i just i was waiting for like the leaflet through my door you know like where's the boy scout trying to like earn money to climb machu picchu next summer or something (laughs) where is he i will do he's not showing up for you he's not showing up i will do a standing order to his mum's bank account if you just the lawnmower is in the shed help yourself (laughs) i think you have to show it to the relationship as you want to be treated rather than Behaving how you are treated if that makes sense, so yeah, it's about um also not penalizing our parents for wanting to take care of us as well for me um yeah you can yeah thank you for emptying my dishwasher or thanks for doing the cardboard and putting the cardboard in like they just that's how I think We don't get to to dictate the way that love is expressed to us. I think there's a lot of dignity and forgiveness in showing up to a relationship and going, that is how you love me. My father expresses love through making me a sandwich, but is not necessarily brilliant about going, tell me more about that, Laura. So I accept the sandwich. Um, Mm. People love how how they know to love, we don't get to decide that. So it's about forgiving other people their flaws as well. Mm. Um, I've got one from Twitter. How do you keep your childhood curiosity alive? Keep asking questions and keep following your bliss and like, why not? Yeah. And you talk as well about like
3: um, taking fifteen minutes to do something silly. <laughs> the Literally
0: world's not fi- gonna miss yeah. you. <laughs> it's it like no even
3: one knows something
2: just like when you're feeling overwhelmed, you know, you, like uh, fuck it, right? I'm gonna go and juggle for fifteen minutes, I'm gonna go and take a walk for fifteen minutes, I'm gonna go and breathe, I'm gonna go and call someone, I'm gonna I am reclaiming my time for me. Fifteen minutes, truly, the world will not end if you take that fifteen minutes. Excellent. I believe. Do it. it, and you do it, and then it encourages everybody else around themselves to take care of them. Uh, mm. it encourages everyone around you to take care of themselves. Yeah. Then do everybody's happy. National happier, fifteen minutes a day. National fifteen minutes a day, <laughs> whenever Piss you about. want. Yeah. Piss about
3: fifteen minutes.
2: That's what they do at Google every Friday afternoon. Apparently, it's yeah. their time because it encourages like creativity. Oh yeah. And curiosity, like confidence, breeds curiosity. Confidence breeds confidence. Mm. Act. Confident, do something confidently, you will become more confident. Absolutely. Be curious, you will become curiouser and curiouser. <laughs> <Alice in> Wonderland. <laughs> as Wonderland. As Wonderland. As that dog in the nighttime. <laughs>
3: um and should we take one more question from the audience? Anyone have
2: one? We've got one in the middle here. <laughs> Lady in the stripes, love a stripe, love a stripe.
0: Hi. Tell us your name. Uh, Kate. Hello. Hello. Kate. Um Yeah, so you you're an author and which was you know, your, your childhood dream, which you talked about. And you also call yourself an accidental influencer and, you're, and you use Instagram. Um, I was wondering if you'd, you'd have ever considered, like, self-publishing or if, or if kind of going in traditional publishing, if that was kind of everything you dreamed it would be or if those kind of... Because sometimes traditional publishing gets criticised mm. for not being kind of modern enough and not using and being a bit behind the times. Mm. Do you feel like these, the spheres of a kind of clash, if that makes sense?
2: Yeah. So... <sighs> I mean, real talk, babe. Publishing in any way, shape, or form is pretty shit. And <laughs> yeah. neither way is going to be how you imagined. Um, do you write? Do you dream of publication? No, I actually
0: want to work in publishing, so I'm
2: just curious. I'm not, I'm not like a far author. Okay. Everybody I've ever met who works in publishing dreams of jacking it all in and being a Pilates teacher. True, true. Honestly... Honestly, uh, so uh, all parts of publishing are shit. It never feels how you think it's going to feel. I think that contributed to my own depression. Um, When I got published, it didn't solve all of my problems, and it was supposed to. Um, I personally would now never self-publish because I've seen what goes into making a book. So I'm having a book published in the summer and I know the exact schedule from now until the day it hits the shops and how many times my manuscript is going to be passed back and forth between me and my editor for all of the different stages, Um, not to mention the fact that So I will write a first draft, then I'll write a second draft, a third draft. It will go to my agent. That will come back to me with notes. I'll redraft it again and again. That will go to my agent. She will check it, it will go to my editor. She will check it, it will come back to me, it will go back to her, it will come back to me, it will go back to her. Then there's like a line edit, then there's like a legal edit, Uh, then there's a proof edit. I could not do that on my own. That said, in an attempt to prove my numbers, Um, right before we went out on submission for the first book. So I got, I had interest from Penguin Random House who just read my blog and Twitter and knew I was working on something. Um, I had interest from them. They told me to get an agent. I got an agent. I finished the first half of my memoir and then it went out on submission. Before we did that, I self-published a book called The Book of Brave. Through my website, it was like a downloadable PDF. I had no business calling it a book. Um, and that reached people. And I was able to say, this is how many downloads from this, this many countries. If anybody has a copy of the book of Brave, it's riddled with typos. Like I did my best, but it's not professional. But it served a purpose. Um, so, yeah. Brilliant. But also traditional publishing is like <laughs> behind the times.
3: I have one more question. She said politely that I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out if there's anyone who wants to talk about this afterwards because I think it's more of an existential issue we should all think about. Uh, this whole podcast this is, has been an. I know, excess. I know. It's from somebody who's name that. Of not a tree joke. Why do wellies not come in fun colours anymore? Now that is, I think we should, we can't answer that, but I think everyone should hold that to heart. We should maybe have a focus group about how to change that because it's very important and Britain is very wet. <laughs> I don't think we're, <laughs> we're ill equipped for fun and for weather, so I think uh, that's a good <laughs> note to end on. Um, yeah. If everybody could join me in giving a round of applause for Laura, thank, thank you. you. I absolutely brilliant, sharing all of her grown up childish knowledge childlike knowledge. Childlike, childlike. And, uh, thank you all so much for coming. I'm going to be hanging out in the lobby later and we're going to shimmy off this way in a very
2: professional manner. Are we going to manner. the lobby now? I think so. We'll go to we the lobby now. We have to go now. and give the nice
3: microphone man his microphones back. Okay,
2: we'll <laughs> give the mic back, we'll have but a and yes. we'll see you in the thank lobby. Thank you so much. <clears throat> <clears throat> thank you.
3: Oh my God, thank you so much for listening. Wasn't she incredible? Um, Laura's book, Ice Cream for Breakfast, is available. Uh, support her if you would like to hear more of her advice. I really recommend it. Um, and if you can, pick it up from your independent bookshop because it means that like authors get more money when you do that. I don't know how else to explain it without going into depth. But um, if you want an episode on that, we can talk about that later. But basically, if you want to pay the author for their work, I would really recommend buying it at RRP from an independent bookseller, if you can. If you would like to join the Gumption Club and support this podcast, like all of the bloody lovely, what are we at? About 220 people in the Gumption Club now. um Do that. I'm really, really um, grateful for it. It keeps this podcast going and it also enables me to pay lovely people to help me uh, for their art. So, Sarah Day Arts uh, is a really great example of this. I just commissioned her to draw some new artwork for the podcast and it looks kind of incredible. So if you haven't spotted that yet on your app or it hasn't updated, uh, get on it because it's just so good and she is so talented and I really have been following her artwork for a while and to have an opportunity to support her and um, really pay her for her art um which is a core value of mine um was uh really incredible and I couldn't have done that without the gumption club so thank you gumptioners yeah there'll be more episodes coming soon uh I am back and I have had a lot of conversations with a lot of people and whacked the recorder on while that happened um so there'll be lots more coming up very soon do stay tuned I'm going to try and release these on Sundays um so do watch out for them Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at Lena Norms if you've got any thoughts about the podcast. Uh, If you want to contradict anything that people will say in the podcast, you're very welcome to do so. And I will be uh reading out some of those if you want to send them in although nobody has sent me any yet so i'm like a bit like i kind of wanted to start this section called i'm not having it where people disagree with what we say but so far it sounds like either i'm preaching to the choir or we're making sense um but people haven't really had nothing to say against it so that's cool but if there's anything that you want to add i'm happy to uh include that in another podcast episode um always really interesting to talk about that and yeah um thank you so much for listening you're making my day um okay i have no way to sign out of podcasts so let's just sing
1: until i turn the recorder off ta-da if you have some questions but don't want to send me none and have no fear the podcast here it's i'm not being funny but with you